True story. A couple was having trouble in their marriage, and so they went to their pastor for counseling. In the course of the counseling, the pastor asked the husband if he was still smoking cigarettes. The husband hung his head and shamefully admitted that, yes, he was still smoking cigarettes. So the pastor held out his hand. Husband reached in his pocket, took out the package of cigarettes, put it in the pastor's hand. Pastor crushed the cigarettes, threw them in the trash can, and sent the couple on their way. All would be well if the husband stopped smoking because smoking was a sin. Now, what do you think happened to that couple? Yeah, crushing the cigarettes didn't work, not so much. Didn't make everything right. So soon the couple divorced. Now, I know this story, not because the husband or wife told me about it, like blaming the pastor for the counseling. I know the story because the pastor told me the story. And he told me the story not in a, can you believe I did something like that kind of way, but in a, this is what you should do yourself sort of way. And so I wondered what was going on in the mind of this pastor when he gave that advice. What was the couple thinking when they put such hope in it? What were they thinking about God? What did they think God required of them in making things right with him and making things right with each other? But then there I go again, wondering about when someone else thinks or what someone else said. It's easier for us to do that, isn't it, than to look at our own hearts and our own lives. You know, what are we thinking? What does living right look like in our life? How are we counseling others how to live right in their life? See, we've got to go to the Word of God to know how to live rightly, to be in right relationship with God and to be in right relationship with each other. And that's what I pray that we're going to see this morning as we come once again to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 20 through 25. I'm going to ask you to stand because we're going to hear read together the Word of the living God. Beginning in verse 20, in the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household, but he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God, so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded, that will be our righteousness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do once again commit ourselves to you and to the power of your word and the transforming power of your spirit. Father, we pray that in this passage today, you would teach us truly what it means to uh, be righteous and to live rightly before you. So we pray that you'll do amazing things in us and through us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. If you weren't here last week, you can go online and hear the sermon that was the first part of this passage where we looked at this conversation 
that's taking place. It's going to take place in the future between an unidentified father and an unidentified son. And the conversation is going to happen over and over and over again. And the son is going to ask this question, what is the meaning of this? The laws, the stipulations, the decrees. What relevance does God in his way have for my life? And the father is to give the answer that God put in his mouth. And we looked at the first part of that last week. I want this morning to look at verse 25 because we had to skip over this verse so quickly. But if you'll look there uh, again with me at verse 25. The father is to say this to the son, if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. So here's what we need to do right now, just a quick prayer. You know, this is big stuff, righteousness. It's what we are to be in our lives. And so we really need to be praying that the Lord would teach us from his word and show us truth this morning, particularly about righteousness. And the first thing that's most important to notice is that when children, boys and girls, young children, grown children, ask about the things of God, when they ask, what is the meaning of this? God wants it known. God wants it communicated to them that righteousness is possible for them, that it can be their possession. This will be our righteousness Your righteousness, son. My righteousness. What you and I need to do right now is to be really personal. We've got to define righteousness, but we've got to identify what the this is. This will be our righteousness. What is the this in your life? What are you looking to? What are you pointing to as the source of your righteousness? But I guess before we can identify that, we really have to define what righteousness is. And how do you define it? Because whatever righteousness is, how are you going to live by it? And what's the purpose that you and I are called to be righteous? There's a lot of questions about it. Lots of uncertainty around that word. We've sung about it this morning. We've read about it. We've prayed about righteousness. What is it? You know, we have difficulty defining it. You know, people think they have it when they don't. People uh, go about achieving it the wrong way. In the Old Testament, the people went about getting righteousness the wrong way. By the time of Jesus, the Pharisees were positive. They had righteousness, but they absolutely did not. There are fundamental and evangelical Christians, and we try to attain it the wrong way, crushing packs of cigarettes and emptying out bottles of alcohol. What is righteousness? And how do we really get it? That's what we have to discover this morning. Let's try to figure it out. What's the definition of righteousness? Big word. And not this morning as it pertains to God. That's a different discussion. He is a holy, righteous God. But righteousness as it pertains to you and to me and to our lives. Theological dictionaries define it this way. (laughs) It strikes me as funny. Only preachers are allowed to read uh, dictionaries to their congregation and you actually listen to it. Isn't that amazing? No other speaker gets up and says, I'm going to read to you from the dictionary this morning, but I want to read to you from the dictionary this morning. Theological dictionaries, defining righteousness. One defines it this way, that it's justness, doing what is right in front of God. Righteousness is exhibited only through conformity to standards set out in the word of God. Righteousness consists in obedience to God's law and conformity to God's nature. Another says it means to be blameless, 
uh, honest. Uh, one is uh, righteous when they meet certain claims which another has on him in virtue of relationship. All right, those are definitions for the Old Testament term for righteousness. The New Testament, we have this, the quality or characteristic of upright behavior. Uh, of right behavior that God requires of persons. Okay, those are definitions. And they're helpful for you and for me if we have time to really read them over and over again and think about what they mean. But I have heard a definition that I found very helpful for myself and for my daily life, one that I could really latch onto. And I heard righteousness defined this way. Righteousness is right-useness. Right-useness. The right useness of our lives. Because see, there's a right use for everything. There's a right use for a hammer, right? You drive nails with a hammer. There's a wrong use of a hammer to crack an egg. Not so much. There's a right use for a credit card. Swipe it at the grocery store. There's a wrong use for a credit card. Scraping ice off your windshield. It works well until it breaks. I know this from experience. There are right uses for your life. That's righteousness. There are wrong uses for your life. That's unrighteousness. So to understand what the right useness of life is, we've got to go back to the beginning. We have to go back to the very first man and the very first woman and see what God's plan for them was. God said in that time, let us make man in our image. And so he made man and woman in his image. And so Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman, were created to be image bearers. That's why God created them, to bear the image of God. God told this man and this woman to be fruitful and multiply. And so that means that this man and this woman had to be in a relationship with each other. Because God didn't create Adam and say, okay, Adam, now now you reign and you rule here in this part of the garden. And then he didn't create Eve and say, okay, now Eve, this is your space over here. You live over here and this will be your part of the garden. No. They were to live together in relationship and together they were to produce more image bearers. God said it this way, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth. Then God told this couple, this husband and wife, to take care of everything that he had created. He said it this way, Subdue the earth, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God did not leave them on their own to do this. Scripture describes it this way, the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And so we see that a relationship existed between God and Adam and Eve. And as long as Adam and Eve trusted God, to, to obey what he commanded, which was to eat from any tree in the garden, only not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As long as they obeyed, this was to be their life. This was to be the right useness of their life. Bearing the image of God in creation. Being in right relationship with one another and producing more image bearers. Taking care of everything that God created. Being in a trusting, obedient relationship with God. This was right useness of their lives. But the moment that Adam and Eve stopped believing God and therefore stopped trusting God to do what was best for them 
In that moment, they sinned because they trusted the word of the serpent, the word of Satan, more than the word of God. Therefore, their lives were no longer in right useness before God. The image of God in which they were created was not obliterated, but it was deeply marred because their lives no longer proclaimed, this is what God is like, because now their life contained sin. God's life does not. Their relationship with each other was broken, Adam and Eve. And blame entered the garden. Eve blamed the serpent. The serpent deceived me, she said, and I ate the fruit. Adam blamed Eve, the woman, the woman. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Adam blamed God, the woman you put here with me. I would have been fine on my own, God, but remember Eve was your idea. So God, this is all your fault and all her fault. Blame, blame, blame. No one would just say, I was wrong. I did it. I'm responsible. I'm sorry. Taking care of the earth would now only be done through painful toil, in the midst of thorns and thistles and by the sweat of man's brow. Producing image bearers would not be easy. God told Eve, with pain you will give birth to children. But God is always merciful. And that's the good news. God is always at work restoring what was lost, showing the way to right useness. And God proclaimed in that moment when sin entered the world that one would come. One would come who would crush the head, who would crush the head of Satan, though Satan would strike at his heel. So with God, right useness will always be possible. And that's what we see as we move on in Scripture. The first time the word righteous is used is in describing Noah. Because by the time that Noah had come along, the world had become a, a terrible, terrible place. No one was using their lives rightly. And the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. That's how bad it was. Every inclination, only evil, all the time. But Noah was different. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and it says Noah was a righteous man. First use of the word. Blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah walked with God. Where have we heard that before? Back in the garden, right? Adam and Eve, walking with God in the cool of the day. Noah trusted God. God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth by a flood. So, Noah, make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Noah did everything, just as God commanded. Trusting God, obeying God, as Noah did, that is right useness of life. Walking in fellowship with God as Noah did. That is right useness of life. We know that Noah wasn't sinless. He wasn't believing or trusting rightly when he got sloppy drunk and passed out naked for everyone to see. But righteousness and sinlessness are not the same thing. We don't encounter the word righteousness 
until Genesis 15. That's the first time that that word is used, and it's used to describe Abraham. You know, Abraham believed the Lord, Scripture says, and God credited it to him as righteousness. And you know the story. You know, God came to Abram one day in, the, in his country that didn't even know God or worship God. God just came to him and said, Abram, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household and go to the land. I will show you. I will make you great. And what did Scripture said? Abram left as the Lord had told him to do. Just like that. God commanded. Abram believed God, so he trusted God. And since he believed God and trusted God, he obeyed God, and God said, that is righteousness. Believing, trusting, and obeying. That was the right use of Abraham's life. He wasn't sinless either. You can read up on Abraham in the book of Genesis. Once he prostituted his own wife out to the king of Egypt to save his own neck. <laughs> you, you, you take her, go ahead. He's my wife, you can have her. He did that. But sinlessness and righteousness are not the same thing. We don't encounter the word righteousness again until the passage that's in front of us today. Deuteronomy 6.25, where the father tells his son, this will be our righteousness. Back in uh, chapter 4, Moses uses the word righteous. If you want to flip to chapter 4, verse 8, Moses tells the people, What other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? And so these laws, these decrees, these stipulations about which the son asks, the ones that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai, they are righteous and become our righteousness. Let's think just for a minute just about the Ten Commandments that Moses repeats in chapter 5, Deuteronomy chapter 5. The first four commandments tell us about living and having a right relationship with God, walking with God as Adam and Eve did, as Noah did, as Abraham did. The right use of your life, number one, commandment number one, is having no other gods before the one and only true and living God. God first. God first. That's the right use of your life. And you know what? If we get number one right, all the rest of them fall into place. You notice that? If we put God first, everything else falls into place. Number two, the right use of life is not having idols. Not having God replacements in our lives. Not having other go-tos. Uh, to have our needs met, not worshiping and bowing before other things. That's the right use of our lives. Number three, the right use of life is honoring the name of the Lord. We bear his image. That's what we are created to do. And if we wear the name and if we bear the image, we must not misuse that name. We must not misrepresent the name of the Lord by what we say and by how we act. Number four, a right useness of the Lord is resting in the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God's people can rest in Him because you know what? God has got it. God has got it. It's okay if we take a day of rest, if we rest in Him. God has everything under control. And so that's the right use of life. Walking with God in these ways. The next six commandments have to do with our relationship with one another. That's what God created us for. To be in a good relationship with each other, but sin seeks to destroy that. Just as it did between Adam and Eve. So number five, honor our parents. 
That's the right use of life. Right relationships with our parents. Number six, we don't murder. We respect and protect the lives of those around us. That's a right use of life. Number seven, do not commit adultery. The right use of life is not going after someone else's husband. Not going after someone else's life. Wife. Number eight, do not steal. A right use of life doesn't take from other people. It seeks to protect and preserve the property of others. Number nine, don't give false testimony. A right life doesn't tell lies about other people. Wow. A right life doesn't tell lies about other people. And number 10, do not covet. A right use of life understands that other people's stuff is other people's stuff. God's blessed them with what he's blessed them with, and God has blessed you with what he's blessed you with. And by the way, if you get number one right, if you have nothing else before God in front of him, you won't be worrying about what somebody else does anyway. And so we see that giving the law to his people, God giving his law to his people, is to make them who they were created to be. Image bearers in right relationship with God, walking with him, producing more image bearers as they pass this on to their children. People of trust, having faith in God, trusting God to tell them what's right and obeying the laws he gives. People in right relationship with others. All this is righteousness. The right use of life. The right use of the law of God to help us get into a right relationship with God and to get into a right relationship with others and to get into a right relationship with the world as we bear his image to that world. And so the Father answers the Son. If we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded, that will be our righteousness. Son, God is so good. What was lost, we can have again. And God tells us how, right here in the law that he has given us. We can have a right use life. We can have a right relationship with God, a right relationship with others, and a right relationship with the world as we bear his image to them. And so, is it any wonder that the psalmists write things like this about the law of God? I delight in your law. Let your compassion come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. Paul writes in Romans 7, for in my inner being I delight in God's law. We often scratch our heads when we read stuff like that because we just don't get it. That's not how we look at the law. That's not how we very often think about the law. Often the word of God to us is something to to tolerate. It's something that we're obligated to. It's often something we resent because it's a buzzkill. It's a roadblock to fun. But only when we don't seek a right use of our lives. All is good. So it's no wonder that Jesus, when he came, said, I have not come to abolish the law. Why would he? Why would he want to demolish or destroy what leads to the right use of life? He wouldn't. But Jesus did say this. He said, I have come to fulfill the law. 
Jesus came to make the law whole, to fill up what the law was not able to do, what the law was never intended to do. Jesus came to, 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 to fill it up, to bring it to completion. Romans 10, 4 says, Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. See, Jesus is the last part of the process that God has put into place. The last part in restoring what was lost. Back in the garden, remember, God promised one would come who would crush the head of Satan, the enemy, and destroy sin and death. Adam and Eve were disobedient. Noah was passed out drunk naked. Abraham prostituted his wife out. Moses, the one who wrote the law, flew into rage and killed a man. He was a murderer. Even righteous people are sinful people. And the law can't change that. And the law can't take their sin away, but Jesus can. He is the end of the law, the completion of the law. He finishes what the law started but could not complete. Christ is the end, the one toward which all history was being directed. He is the goal. Because he is the only one who ever has lived or whoever will live a perfect life. And it's because of that perfectly lived, perfectly rightly used life of Jesus that he can take away our sin, yours and mine, and Abraham's and Noah's, Adam's and Eve. He can completely and perfectly restore what was lost and broken because he was perfect. And so we obey, not to earn our righteousness, but because Jesus said, if you love me, if you are in a relationship with me, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And Jesus said this, this is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord with your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It's a relationship with God. And the second command is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Right relationship with others. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Sounds like commandments one through four, doesn't it? Right relationship with God. Commandments five through ten, right relationship with others. Relationship with Jesus is what makes us, enables us to rightly use our lives. He restores what was lost through faith in Christ we can have a right relationship with God. When we have faith in Christ, we have faith in Christ. God looks through His Son to look at us. God looks through His Son to look at us. And when God looks through His Son, what does He see? Absolute perfection. Perfect righteousness. That's what God sees when He looks at His Son. And He looks at you and me when we have faith in Christ through the Son. And God says to us, I see you. I see you. I accept you. I proclaim you to be righteous. You are right with me because you are standing behind my Son. Because you are holding my Son up before my face, saying, don't look at me, Lord. I am a terrible mess. Look at your son. He's perfect. 
Don't look at me. Don't look at what I've done, even the good things I've done. I've done for myself. I've done for a pat on the back. I've done for my own reputation. I've done for my own gain. Lord, they're nothing. Don't look at those. Look at your son. Don't look at what I did, but look at what he has done for me. That's faith. That's faith. Faith that Christ alone can do what must be done for us if we are to be in a right relationship with God. And so that's a right use of your life, every one of us here in this room. The right use of our life is getting in a right relationship with God through faith in Christ. Through faith in Christ. In a relationship with Him, we get into right relationships with others. And through faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit that He deposits into the heart and the life of everyone who is a person of faith, through that Spirit, we bear the image of God to the world. See, it's, it, it's all in Christ. It's all in Christ. And that's why you must have Christ in your life if you will use your life rightly. So if you care about that, if you care about using the life you have rightly, you better be in a relationship with Christ. That's why a righteous life is not about crushing packets of cigarettes or emptying bottles of alcohol or whatever it is that we do to check off our list. It's so much more than that. A rightly used life is a relationship with Christ. And so that's how all of us must define the this. This will be our righteousness. The this is Christ Jesus himself. He is our righteousness. Christ is the restorer of all things lost. You can't do it. Only Christ can. And so are you using your life rightly? Are you? Are you using your life rightly? If you and I will use our lives rightly, we better figure out, better figure it out what our relationship with Christ really looks like. What does it look like? How is Jesus fitting in your life? Where is Jesus fitting in your life? How is Jesus transforming you, influencing your relationships and your behavior? Christ is your righteousness. Now, those are all of my words. I'm done. But I'm going to finish by just saturating you and me and all of us with this truth. Because if we hear it over and over again, maybe we'll believe it. I don't care if you look up here. I don't care if you close your eyes. I don't care. But, but listen to this truth as I read it from the Word of God. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace. And his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, Now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us righteousness, a right standing with God, and resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. God has united you with Christ Jesus. 
For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us righteous. He made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have given our lives to us as a gift. Every one of us is experiencing the gift of life right now as we are here in this place. And Lord, I pray that through the power of your spirit, you would make it the desire of every one of our hearts that we would use the life that you give to us rightly. That would be the most important thing to us, Lord, is using our lives rightly before you. Not for ourselves, not for our own gain, not for our own pleasure as we are so apt to do, but all of us, Lord whether we're 10 or 20 or 50 or 80, that we would desire to live our lives righteously, rightly before you. Lord, I pray that it would be true that we would want to bear your image beautifully and accurately before the world as people who are filled with your Spirit. In whatever place we find ourselves, around whatever group of people, Lord, We rightly live our lives when we bear your image. Father, we need to walk with you. That's a right use of our lives, walking with you in this beautiful relationship we have with you through faith in Jesus Christ. Trusting you, believing in you. Because we trust you and believe you, Lord, we obey you. That's a right use of our lives. So, Father, I pray that you would help us desire to be and then make us righteous not because of who we are or what we've done, but because we know that Jesus can do it in us and through us. May it be so now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.